family to Idaho there, and I'm out of, of Missio Dei Chandler. So uh, they don't know their missionaries. We're, they're moving there, and I'm just going to say, hey, you're going, you're going in the name of Jesus. So uh, they're moving to Idaho uh, because they love potatoes so much. They can't get enough. So uh, let's pray for the Davis family. If you guys don't know uh, Nate and Jen, we've known each other for a while, and um, we're, we're going to miss you guys. But uh, I also do believe, joking aside, that you're going to expand the ministry of God somehow, some way, even to Idaho. And if you know Idaho, boy, those people need it up there, don't they? The love of Jesus. So let's pray for them real quick if we, w- if we can. Lord, uh, thank you for the Davis family. Thank you that they've been with us and blessed us. And it's just been so good to walk in, in faith with them, chasing Jesus together. Uh, Lord, there's a, there's a new chapter for them, and we're excited for how you're going to uh, to use them in a new location. I know it's going to be probably difficult to establish new relationships and new friendships, find a new church community, but Lord, you're already working way ahead of us in this in this matter. So grant them traveling mercies, give them just a sense of peace and, and security, knowing that uh, they're in the right place at the right time, work th- in their lives and also through them. As, uh, as we anticipate hearing great things as they settle in a new home. Lord, we're going to miss them, but we're excited for this new chapter. So, Lord, bless them in this, in this new season and just provide for every one of their needs. And so thank you for their time with us. And uh, it's bittersweet, always seeing a family go. But, uh, Lord, we look forward to the time we can reconnect with them. So, Lord, in the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. So make sure if you know the Davises, you get a chance to say goodbye. Just so you guys know, if you leave Missio and you move, a- move away to some other place, we're, you're missionaries now. You are missionaries sent to wherever God's going to take you. So uh, turn to Acts 13, if you would. So this week I was, uh, I was hungry for a Philly cheesesteak. Oh yeah. When was the last time you had a Philly cheesesteak? It had been a while for me. And you always do wit whiz. And some of you are like, what's he saying? If you don't even know what I'm saying, I don't even know if you know Jesus. But that's another topic for another time. So I go uh, to Philly's Famous, right down Alma School, right down here. I haven't been there forever. And I walk in, and I see a picture of Jesus on the wall. And I see a cross on the wall. And I go, hmm, this is going to be fun. And there behind the counter are Rita and Eddie. And uh, Eddie looks at me, and we make this unspoken connection. And uh, he's got something on the, on, the, on the griddle being cooked up. And he's like, you want, and he's trying to pick out my sandwich for me, like ahead of time. Like, I know what you want. It's what I'm making right here. Now, I've been in sales long enough. I've been in the restaurant business long enough to be like, I made a mistake drink. Mistake drink. I'm going to give it to the next person who's looking for a suggestion, right? But I said, uh, I said, that's not what I want. And all of a sudden, he was like, do I know you? He goes, you look really familiar, and I, I get that a lot. Uh, maybe you're sh- familiar with cops, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? I was not on that, but I said, you know what the connection is, don't you? I go, it's that picture on the wall. And he goes, are you Catholic? And I said, no. And he's like, and he goes, are you Christian? I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. And Rita goes, I'm Catholic. And then Eddie goes, I'm Orthodox. And then they're like, where, where do you go to church, right? And I said, well, just so you know all my cards is that I'm a pastor, and I pastor up here at Sozo Coffee. That's where we gather. 
oh, do you know Zorba's? And I go, yeah, Zorba's. And he goes, he's, he's Egyptian Coptic. And all of a sudden, within a span of about two minutes, we've already established four different faiths within Christendom, right? Like Catholics. And it almost sounds like a joke, right? What do you get when a Catholic and a Coptic and a, and a non-denominational and an and a Orthodox? And um, all of a sudden, Rita behind the register. Now, no one, this is lunchtime. There is no one in there but me and them. And so we all of a sudden at the counter, this, is, this goes beyond Philly cheesesteaks. You know, this is not wit whiz, this is with Jesus. And this is about where we're going with this. And all of a sudden, Rita just has this look on her face of, of just guilt. She's like, I, I haven't been able to go to church. And, and I listen to the Psalms on, my, on my, my smartphone. And she shows me, she goes, I'm listening to Psalm 150 right now. And I said, yeah, praise him with a symbol and a lyre. Praise him. She's like, yeah. Almost like she threw that Psalm 150 out to test me if I really was a pastor. And I said, oh, yeah. She's like, you know it. And I was like, yeah. And both of them had this look of guilt on their face, like, we, we're working so much, and we can't get to church. And I said, well, here's the good news, is that God doesn't base your spirituality on how many times you get to go to church. And they're like, what? And I was like, God knows your hearts, and he loves you where you're at and what you're going through, and all your business, and all your distractions. This is not about church attendance, and this is not about listening to the Bible, hopefully every single day, every single hour. You can love God even behind the counter of a Philly cheesesteak shop. And they're like, what? And all of a sudden, it just, it just made this connection. I said, these people need to understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now, some of you are like, what did just Pastor Scott just say? It's called justification by faith alone. Because what they are wrestling with as a Catholic, as an Orthodox, perhaps our Egyptian Coptic friend, our Mormon friends, our Jehovah's Witness friends, our whatever group that tends to push a belief that God loves you not for who you are, but for what you do is a false doctrine. Ladies and gentlemen, we get to embrace this morning, I'm super excited about this, the doctrine of justification by faith. But I, I hate even using the word doctrine, but it's important. Because this morning, and I'm not one of those pastors that says, boy, this message is the most important message I can preach. It seems like they say that every Sunday, don't they? But with hyperbole aside, this is the most important message I can ever preach. If you miss this, you're going to miss it all, and you you will be doomed of a life chasing God but filled with unmitigated guilt and grief. Whoa, some of you are like, that's a lot. It is. And just to confirm, like, this is what God wants us to come back to. I'm at a pastor's conference this week, right? And one of the messages by one of the main speakers is the text we're going to dive in today. 
And of all the texts of scripture, this is a world-renowned pastor who says, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot move off of what Paul is preaching in Acts 13. And I lean over to my friend that I went, he's my plus one for pastor's conferences, Pastor Matt, who's spoken here. I go, this is what I'm speaking on Sunday. He's like, go bro, get it. I'm like, we will. Acts 13, turn there in your Bibles if you would. So my interactions with Rita and Eddie at the Philly cheesesteak shop, me sitting under the teaching of a, of a pastor out of, out of Baltimore, world-renowned pastor who used this as his text, and me thinking that we were going to maybe make a little bit more headway into Acts, we're not. Because the verses we get to look at this morning are so important, are so imperative to our walk with Christ that if we miss this, we, we are really going to mess things up. As a matter of fact, the word justified that we see here in Acts 13 is the very word that lit the heart of Martin Luther on fire and in 1517 took the world by storm by preaching the message of justification by faith alone and starting the Protestant Reformation. This very word that you and I are going to read in Acts 13 is the very word that ignited a spiritual firestorm. And why is this important? If you remember the statistic I shared last week, 80% of people who would identify themselves as Christians don't fully understand and or believe the doctrine of justification by faith alone. What does that mean? That means if we don't understand what Christ has done for us on the cross as far as forgiving us of all of our sins and imputing or giving to us on our account his perfect righteousness, you and I are doomed for a lifetime of chasing God but being bogged down with a lot of guilt that we're not doing enough. And the further you chase God by not understanding this doctrine, the guilt gets stronger. And I am praying this morning that God will release us of these chains and understand who our identity, what our identity is in Jesus Christ, who died this incredible death for us on the cross so that you and I can be justified by faith alone. This impacts Catholics. This impacts Coptics. This impacts the Orthodox. This impacts those that are affiliated with even uh, variations of, of cultic groups like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. This even impacts those who embrace a more non-denominational uh, spirituality. This is important. So turn to Acts chapter 13. What if you really believed that God is 100% for you? What if you truly believe today that God is 100% for me, that our best successes can't earn you any more access, and your worst failures can't take any of it away? What if you really believe that? You've heard me say it before, and I think it was Tim Keller. He said, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He loves you perfectly in Jesus Christ. See, we hear that. And some of us breathe in this air of, that's good. And then some of us breathe in this oxygen that says, is it true? Can, can I believe this? Can I embrace this? Can I, can I wholeheartedly trust this teaching? See, religion 
works off the premise, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel reverses it and says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. That's a huge differentiation. God does not want your performance first. He wants your personhood, who you are, your heart. He accepts you as you are, where you are. The good news is he doesn't leave you there. He changes you. But we're always on shaky ground. If we allow this mentality to seep in that if there's a day that we experience where we're not 100% sure that God loves us perfectly, that is detrimental to our spirits. Today's a day of freedom. Today's a day the chains come off. Today's a day you understand the love of God poured out within your hearts in Jesus Christ is a, is a forgiving love, is a pardoning love, is a reckoning love. I'm praying that all of you bounce out of here like kangaroos. You're going to be spiritual kangaroos by the end of today. Start stretching. I don't want you to pull something, all right? Acts 13, here we go. Paul's preaching to a group of people who have embraced a lifestyle of, I, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough. And Paul comes in and wants to remedy that heart. Look what he says in verse 36. Seven. Gentlemen, he whom God raised from the dead did not undergo decay. He's talking about Jesus. Verse 38, and we're going to focus on 38, 39. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is justified from all things. Now, some translations use the word free or freed. The word is literally justified. And it's this word that Paul uses in the first recorded sermon that he preaches as the very ignition to something that ought to set our lives on fire. From which you could not be freed. Thank you. You would think I learned. Oh, you have little faith. I might need extra. Don't miss this, verse 39. Through him, everyone who, is, who believes is freed or justified from all things, from which you can never be justified through the law of Moses. Take heed, therefore, so that this thing spoken of you by the prophets may not come upon you. Here's the warning. Behold, you scoffers, marvel and perish, and, be, and, a, and a, I am accomplishing a work in your, in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should even describe it to you. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. Three things I want us to look at. And I'm going to try to leave a little room at the end, maybe for a little Q&A. And which is something we don't always do, but this is so important. I don't want anyone leaving here with any question. First point, salvation comes by faith. Now, this is not a faith in whatever you want to believe in. This is a faith that is rooted, centered, focused on Jesus. 
Notice the Christ-centeredness of Paul's message. He says, through him, forgiveness. Through him, justification. Everything that the, the, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament points to is, is Jesus. Here are men who love the law. They love the Ten Commandments. They love the prophets. But they will never appease God just by obeying things for the sake of obeying them. This is the difficulty when it comes to how impetuous our hearts are to want to do things instead of stop and surrender all things and allow God to really trans transform our hearts. He doesn't want your obedience more than he has a hold of your hearts. See, salvation comes by faith. And not by keeping the law, not by doing whatever you think is going to earn you approval or favor with God. Think about it. Whether you follow the law or not, each of you, each of us, has something that we go, I must do that for God to like me. And I'm here to tell you, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. If, he, if you have Jesus... You have everything. Amen? Now, faith looks like three things. And here they are. We're going to cover this real quick. If you've been with us for any amount of time, uh, this is something that we can circle back to time and time again. So we're, we, there's three aspects of your salvation. And sometimes we don't understand what this looks like, and therefore we get confused about words like justification, which biblically means you're free from the penalty of sin. Penalty is a forensic term. It is a legal term. It is a declaration or pronouncement by God to you that says, if you have Jesus, you are penalty free. You are declared not guilty. And it's a judge who sits at the th on the on the on the uh, in the courtroom in the position of authority that makes a pronouncement that's one and done. That is, you are justified. This is the word that Paul is using. If you believe in Jesus, you are free now from the penalty of sin, one and done. Woohoo! But God doesn't leave you there. It's a one-time act. But now you enter into a life of sanctification in which now you are free from the power of sin. Because the judge of the universe, the one who knows all things, who's established the rules of right and wrong, moral order, he says to you, now that the judge has made a one-time declaration of your innocence because of what Christ has done, now you're sent on a lifetime journey of sanctification where you are free from the power of sin. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? Paul celebrates this in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Death has nothing on us. Sin has nothing on us because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Woohoo! Who can stand against God's elect? When you're in Christ, nothing can stand against you. God's for you, not against you. And so we tend to confuse sanctification with justification. Sanctification is an ongoing work in which you are going to pursue Jesus in your life because you want to, not because you have to. And God no longer is a judge in your life when it comes to sanctification. Now he's a surgeon operating on your heart. God doesn't operate on your heart in justification. He's the judge at, at, ju at justification. Now he's the surgeon who, according to Hebrews 4, says, I'm going to use this divine scalpel called the word of God, and I'm going to get into those places of your life that are going to hurt, but once you're free, you're going to celebrate. 
And all this because there's a final chapter of your salvation. It's called glorification, which will happen to us one day when we will be free from the very presence of sin. Woo! Yeah, baby! Come on, let's go! Three stages of your salvation. Justification, one-time event, you're, you're set free from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, you're now on a lifetime journey of, of being free from the power of sin. You're going to look more and more like Jesus. It may be an uneven journey. It may be a rocky road. It may be a roller coaster experience. But God, who, per, who planted that seed in you, is going to perfect that work till the day of Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. So, and then glorification is one day you will be from the, free from the very presence, I would even say very pleasure of sin, because there's only one pleasure that's going to delight your heart forever, and that's having a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lamb of Lambs, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And so I say this because it's that first point, justification. If you do not understand justification, sanctification, glorification is not going to make sense. So we are going to go off what Paul talks about here when it comes to justification. And he says that the law can diagnose us, but it can never repair us. All the good works that you and I try to embrace, they make us feel good for a moment, but they never remedy the real issue, and that's the issue of the heart. Think about a thermometer that measures spiritual temperature of your heart. It's not a thermostat, and and it it can't adjust the temperature. This is why God has to dig in and, and declare you forensically, legally, not guilty in Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. I've got a few verses that are going to be key. You know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Why? Because the law can only diagnose. It can't repair your heart. But through faith in Jesus Christ, there's the answer. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No matter how many times you pray, no matter how many times you read your Bible, no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many times you go feed the homeless, no matter how many times you go on a mission trip, no matter how many times you sing in the band, no matter how many times you go to volunteer luncheons or hang out at Pastor Scott and Lori's house, none of it matters if there's not a heart that has been declared innocent, not guilty in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I've got amazing news for you guys. In Acts 13, he's preaching to a group that can never fathom what Paul's declaring to them. And he says, salvation has come. And it has come in a person, not works that you do, but a person who's lived perfectly, spotless, blameless, who goes to a cross for you and I, and his name is Jesus. And they're trying to wrap their brains around this. Paul would expand upon this theme in Romans chapter 3. Look it up on the screen. Romans 3, 21 through 26. Some have said the greatest section of scripture, uh, section of scripture in the entire Bible. Romans chapter 3. I mean, do a deep dive. Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5. This week, this is, this is the core. This is the heart of the gospel. We talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. This is the heart of that gospel. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Woohoo! thank goodness. Although the law and the prophets bear witness, it's not that the law and the prophets are bad, but they can only diagnose, they can't repair. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That means unequivocally the gospels for every single man, woman, child. Doesn't matter who, who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what's been done to you, the color of your skin, economic status, educational level, whatever. 
The gospel is for everybody. Woohoo! Yes! For there is no distinction. Here's the standard. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's important. We're going to come around to it. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, assuaging the wrath of God. I know those are big words. But what Jesus Christ does is he settles the matter before sinful humanity and holy divinity. He settles it once and for all. To be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because he's a righteous and just God. And I need to talk about that for a minute because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Thank goodness for God's patience, his long-suffering. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, here's his character. He's just, and here's his action. He's going to justify all who believe in Jesus. How many of you want to say a hallelujah right now? Come on, church. Come on, church. Here we go. Point number two. Now we're going to get deep. Anyone ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse before? So you know how the Brazilian steakhouse works. There's a green flag, right? And as long as that green flag's up, the meat keeps coming until you are stuffed like a pot-belly pig with an apple in your mouth buried two feet underground. Guess what? The green flag's up. You're about to get stuffed like a pot-belly pig. Here we go. There's no yellow flags. There's no red flags at this table. Ready for the spiritual banquet? Here it comes. Point number two. Justification has to do with forgiveness. Salvation comes with forgiveness. This is the first part of the application of Paul's sermon. He says in verse 38, forgiveness of sins comes through him. What does forgiveness mean? Well, let me tell you something, and probably this is what you and I feel. I went and got a really expensive haircut yesterday at Great Clips because I, you know, I really take care of my coif. You know what I'm saying? And what I mean by expensive, I go to Great Clips and I had a coupon. It was $9.99. Come on. Someone say hallelujah. Good way to clip coupons, Pastor Scott. So I go to the Great Clips yesterday and I walk in and, you know, it's like a 15-minute wait. I check in on my app because I'm cool like that. So I sit down. There's a guy in the chair. Dude, there's a dude, barber. We're going to call him the barber, right? Because women are hairstylists, men are barbers. So here's, is that true? Okay, well, he was a hairdresser then, or a hairstylist, whatever. All I know is his name is Rick, and as soon as the guy that he was cutting the hair left, it was just me and Rick in Great Clips over by Target, over by Chandler Mall. And all of a sudden, Rick hasn't even said hello to me. He hasn't even acknowledged me. All I know is that I'm next because my name's up on the screen. I go up to the counter, and all Rick does for the next one minute is drop more expletives than a Martin Scorsese movie, Okay. She's got like that effing customer and this effing guy and this stuff. And I'm just sitting there going, I just want to get my hair cut. I hope you're not angry. Because one time I was little, I had a hair dresser cut the back of my ear. So there's still a little bit of that. So I won't go there. That's another illustration for another time. I sit down in Rick's chair, right? And he's still going off about the other customer. And I'm just like, okay. And he's like, uh, so we start getting into the, the haircut, right? And you never know, like you're a captive audience, but in a sense, they're a captive audience too. It's like, what are we going to talk about today? Within two minutes of Rick cutting my hair, he made an allusion to the Garden of Eden and then to the Nephilim in Genesis 6 of the fallen you know, creatures having a relationship with earthly women. If you don't know, this is really weird stuff in the Bible. And he doesn't know he's got El Jefe Pastor in the seat, right? 
And uh, I just said, hey, Rick, full disclosure, uh, I know what you're talking about. Like, most people would be like, what the heck is this dude talking about? He's just riffing on stuff that some people would think is sci-fi. I go, hey, Rick, full, full disclosure, I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden, he changes. <laughs> and his first thing he says to me once he finds out I'm a pastor, I guess I should clean up my talk. Right? Immediately, guilt sets in. Because there's someone spiritual. There's a pastor, a man of the cloth. I don't know, whatever you want to say. And I say, well, here's my thoughts on Genesis 6. So I give him a little commentary. And when, when you know, we just talked about a cute cafe at our house, that, that whole topic in Genesis 6, right? And then all of a sudden, for the next 10 minutes, Rick is, is pouring out his heart of how he has never been married. He believes God has called him to a life of celibacy has wanted to serve God his entire life. He went to college at an unaccredited school, didn't feel like he can pursue ministry beyond that because of this lack of accreditation. And not only that, coupled with a bad couple church experiences, is now cutting hair. And he's confessing. He's sharing. He's exposing his heart to some dude he doesn't even know. And the entire time, I'm just encouraging him. It's not what you've done. It's not how many F words you've dropped. I just want him to know that he's loved as he is and where he's at. And, and the whole temperament, just the, the spiritual temperature changes. And so just upon checkout, you know, he looks at me sincerely. And I said, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. Love to connect with you more. He's like, Thanks for making my morning. Here's a man who just, he needed to be reminded that we have a God who forgives us and meets us where we're at. And yeah, we go through a bunch of junk and crap in our lives and the journey is never filled completely with these yellow brick roads and stemming with roses and, and this and that. It's, sometimes there's this dirt Sometimes there's weeds. Sometimes there's horrible creatures and horrible people that just attack us. And Rick needed to know yesterday morning at Great Clips that there's a God who loves him as he is and where he's at. But there's also something more for him. And so God took our conversation and he needed to know about the powerful forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Just like there's some of us in this room right now. To be, that need to be reminded of this. And I want to I share this with you because, again, we need, we need objective reminders of God's for, forgiveness, not subjective experiences to prevail. What do I mean by that? When God says he forgives you, he means it. Objectively, if you have Christ, you have been forgiven. Subjectively, sometimes we don't feel it. And this is where you need to get out of your heads and into the Word. Get out of that place where your thinking is all crazy and get back to the thing that is the standard. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't come to accuse you. The Holy Spirit comes to comfort you. Two things you need to understand when it comes to justification, when it comes to forgiveness of sins. First is this. 
our sins have been removed. Jesus provides for our pardon. Now notice how deliberately I'm using words here, pardon. That is a legal term. That is the judge who is sitting on his bench and you are defendant in his courtroom and you don't have a single leg to stand on because you have caused cosmic injustice. But God the judge pardons you if you have Jesus. See, we don't understand forgiveness in our world because some of us want to go to God and, and have forgiveness on our own terms. Think about this. Think about this picture. God, people go, I'm going to go to God and he's going to be a loving God. He's going to be forgiving. How many times have we heard God is love? How many times have we heard that God's forgiving? But unless we understand God's forgiveness and God's love in light of his righteousness and his justice, you're going to make a mockery of his forgiveness. And let me describe this. Because you're going to go to God with whatever's going on in your life, and you're going to say, well, God has to forgive me. Well, but the moment that someone worse than you goes to God for forgiveness, you judge that person. Because in your mind, you've set some sort of moral standard for God's forgiveness. He can forgive you, but he shouldn't forgive them. I mean, what are the classic examples of, of horrible sinners that have existed in our world? Hitler. Now I ask you, are you better than Hitler? And so, and so many people are like, oh man, I'm so much better than him. And I sit there and go, hold on. You might be, or maybe you're not. And they're like, wait, what? Because the moral standard is subjective in our world. And I'm going to tell you right now, the moral standard, according to God, has been set. And here's what God expects. Perfection from every single one of his creatures. See, sin is, is known as missing the mark. We live in a world where we're missing the mark all the time. But the problem is, you know, when you go out for archery, and I've tried to do archery. Boy, I tell you what, those guys, men, women, strong, right? Like to pull back. How many, how many of you had to have a weak time just pulling back the, the, the bow? I'm one of those guys that's like, I'm trying to look cool, right? And I think I'm like Chuck Norris or Rambo, right? Like, but I'll tell you what, sin is when you miss the mark, right? But you never miss the mark when you determine where the bullseye is. So I'll, th I'll throw off 10 arrows and I'll go and I'll circle an arrow around those, uh, circle around those arrows and be like, look, I hit the mark. Why? Because I moved the mark. God doesn't move the mark. Here's his standard, righteousness, perfection. And if you dare go to God and think he, you think you mu he must love you on your terms of, of what forgiveness looks like, you impugn his character. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Here's his standard. Perfection. All of us have fallen short of that. All of us feel deeply that. The good news is Christ comes and steps in in our place. Why is the cross important? Because Christ provides the pardon and says, your sin, I now take from you. But the opposite side of the same coin is this. He not only removes our sins, he reckons us righteous. And that Jesus' righteousness is now put on our account.
Because it's, it's, it's no good to stand morally neutral before God. He removes our sins. Something has to be added to us. And Lord knows we can never add it ourselves. So here's the beauty of justification. Forgiveness of sins means Adam imputed sin into the human race, which we're now all bearers of. We now have our sins imputed to Christ, which he doesn't deserve because he's perfect, but he's the lamb who now becomes the scapegoat, who takes the sins of us, and God says, it is, you are now pardoned because a perfect lamb has taken your sins. But now there's a third part in that now Christ's righteousness, once you're forgiven, his righteousness is now put on your account. So when God sees you, according to Isaiah 61, you are seen with the robe of righteousness provided by the lamb of God. So now, when you understand this, when you're in that courtroom and you go before the judge, imagine someone broke into your home and destroyed some of your most valuable belongings and they get caught and they stand before the judge and they begin to argue about they, they've committed so much time to helping that the homeless shelter and that they are amazing recyclers of the best recyclers on their street, right? How are you going to respond as the one who's been violated? I mean, you might say, hey, you know what, that's great and charitable, charitable, and I'm glad you're doing your part in community, and that's good stuff, but it doesn't restore what you've destroyed of mine. And here's a God who is righteous and just who says, all of you have caused, been a participant in cosmic treason. Don't come to me with all the things you, you've done for your community and for your family and for the homeless shelter and how you recycle. You have to come to me and realize you fall short of God's standard. See, God pardons us and declares us not guilty. Micah chapter 7. I love this verse. Who is like you, God? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression. For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever. Woohoo! Because he delights in steadfast love. But he doesn't love you without first being righteous and just towards you. And the in-between, the mediator, is Jesus. He receives the justice. He's the one who is righteous. And once you enter that doorway of justice and righteousness because of what Christ has done, you get God's steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Thank you, Micah. Corey Tenboom adds a little, little thing at the end of that and says, and when God says, I've cast your sins into the sea, he also puts a sign up that says, no fishing allowed. <laughs> Don't you dare go back there. If you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven. Get out of your head and into the word. This is why we have to be very clear when it comes to you're justified. Your sins have been completely removed, placed upon Christ, and his righteousness has been completely given to you. You have Christ's perfect righteousness on your account. When will his righteousness run out? Never. This is why you can live your life following God with joy and exuberance and enthusiasm and zeal because of what he's done for you through his son on the cross. 
This is not infused righteousness. This is imputed righteousness. It is reckoned to your account as righteous. Not a righteousness of your own, but a righteousness Christ gives us. Infused righteousness is what the Catholic Church teaches. That you, along with God, have this cooperative relationship in which you do certain things, and hopefully at the end, you're righteous enough to stand before God. Justification is not a process. It is a pronouncement. If you have Christ, you have been set free. If you have Christ, you have had your sins forgiven. Now that doesn't mean that you do not practice confession as a believer. First John chapter 1 First uh, John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, you, you confess your sins, and you're going to find that he's holy and faithful and righteous. This is not forensic forgiveness. This is familial forgiveness. Write that down. Bonus points. Spirit's leading right now. He's talking. Some of you need to understand this. We, are, we seek forgiveness not because we're fearing losing our salvation. You're completely saved in Jesus Christ forever. Forensically, you have been pardoned. Forensically, the judge has said, you're set free. Get out of my court. Go live a life. But now that God is not our judge, but now that God is our Abba Daddy, aren't there things we do in life that are not consistent with his will? So therefore, it's not forensic forgiveness that we seek. It's familial. You're his child. And in order to get back on the same page, he says, come to me. Just tell me what's going on and, and get back on the right path. My life is littered with moments of repentance and confession and forgiveness. This is a good thing. I'm never out of his family, but sometimes I'm out of his will. That's like bumper sticker material right there. As a believer, you're never out of his family, but sometimes you're out of his will. What do you do? Get back in the will. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Paul says this. For in Christ... Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So you see what he's saying. Leave your works alone. Only faith working through love matters. Faith alone, but the good news is it's a faith that's never alone. Hence the book of James. So we have imputed righteousness. It's not infused, it's imputed. One-time deal. It's given to us, and probably the verse to sum up this little section before we conclude, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. If there's one verse that sums up what we're talking about, it's this. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see what I just described to you in one verse? One side of the coin is he takes your sin, and the other side of the coin, he gives you his righteousness. Come on, church, somebody say hallelujah. Thank goodness that if I'm accused of a crime, I know this feels like law and order at Missio Day today, doesn't it? But if I'm accused of a crime and I'm hauled into court and the jury decides that I'm innocent of all charges and the judge declares me not guilty, I'm not cleared bit by bit. I'm I'm cleared at an instant. The judge can say, you know what? You're not guilty, but you do in order to, un- to experience this full, complete forgiveness. You need to have a step-by-step process. No, no, no. The moment I leave that courtroom, 
is the moment I have been pronounced not guilty. I don't need to go through some step-by-step thing to make sure that I still am not guilty. That'd be ridiculous. You are forgiven one time forever in Jesus Christ. Which leads to my last point, and we'll close with this. We, nope, it's the, it's the point that says salvation comes with freedom. Verse 39. He uses the word freedom. This translation uses the word freedom. It's really the word justified. But here's the point. Believers in Christ ought to look more glad than they do guilty. I, I'm tired of it. Because I'm like, you, you say you embrace, you say you believe, you, you do all. I truly believe that 80% number of people in our churches today don't understand what we're talking about. Therefore, there's less gladness and more guilt. And I want to remind you that you need to pursue a life in Christ that there's more gladness than guilt. And the stronger you press into justification, the stronger you experience joy. If you're weak on justification, you're going to be weak in joy. So he says in verse 39, Acts 13, there is freedom from all things through Jesus. The Son has come to set you free. The Son has come to bring you what the law could not bring, liberty. Therefore, all who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Get out of your heads and into the word. Celebrate all that God has done for you. Allow the divine surgeon to do his work on you and in you. The judge can only take care of what's outside of you. The surgeon can take care of what's inside of you. You've been pardoned by the judge of the universe. Live in that freedom. Live every single day leaning upon his grace and his mercy and his goodness and his kindness. Right? Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 has a great verse. Paul celebrates all the things that, that he used to have as a Jew of Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews, someone who studied under Gamaliel, the wisest rabbi in the land. And yet his conclusion is this in Philippians 3. He says, I've learned to consider all my accomplishments, all my successes, all my failures, as nothing, they're rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ because Paul is saying the law can only diagnose, it cannot repair. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Where is your confidence today? Because here's the question. If your song in the morning is not Christ is my righteousness, you're singing the wrong song. Is Christ your righteousness? Is he your all in all? Are you forgiven completely and thoroughly by God? Yes. He's removed your sins from you. He has given you Christ's righteousness. And now go on and put no confidence in your flesh. Put full confidence in the sure promises of God that are always yes and amen in him. Three things. Application. Here we go. You are now approved. Justification says you're approved. Therefore, what you do for God 
is not to get more approval. You do it because you've already been approved. Amen, church? Point number two, we have been acquitted because Christ has pardoned us. Thank you for the forensic truth that if I am found in Christ, I have been forgiven of my sins, I have been given a righteous not of my own, and therefore I have been acquitted, and I don't need to live as if I'm not acquitted before God. That is essentially spitting back in his face and saying, I don't believe what you've done for me. Have you been set free? Then you're free indeed. Point number three, you have been accepted. And we celebrate God's grace. We celebrate the fact that we're not going to put confidence in the flesh. Our guilt is gone and Christ's goodness has been given. Woo! Hallelujah! I know I was channeling my black southern preacher moment today, wasn't I? Let me close with this. World Cup starting next week. I don't know. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. Okay, whatever. Here's the thing that's been the kind of the talk of like people wanting to boycott the World Cup. Why? Human rights violations. People, foreign workers brought in, dying, building these stadiums, these constructing these buildings. Qatar, Qatar, however you want to pronounce it, is, is under our microscope right now. And I was listening on the radio and something interesting happened in this conversation about the World Cup. They said Qatar has invested $200 billion into hosting the World Cup. Then they said, how much money does Qatar look to make off the games? About $5 billion. Okay. For those of you that like numbers and into math, you're spending $200 billion to host an event that you may get $5 billion for. So the interview went like this. Why are they doing this? And the guy said, probably because they want to project some sort of goodwill to the world. As if investing all this money and providing a global stage for this global event is going to recuse them of whatever human rights violations and however many people died and whatever issues are going on behind the scenes, we're not unlike Qatar. We know their stuff. You cannot mask it with money. You cannot mask it with good works. You cannot mask it with goodwill. You cannot mask it with religious observance, going to church, praying, reading your Bible. The conscience bears witness and says, you're guilty. The cross bears witness and says, you can be set free. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I don't know why we're applauding. I'll just go with it. Like, real quick, because, yes, Pastor Scott finished a little early. You're welcome. Christmas came early. Let me do something that we usually don't do. If there's any point you're not sure of, there's something you need clarification of, let's do a little Q&A. Let's just stop, because this is so important. Literally, this is the heart of the gospel. If you get this wrong, you're going to get it all wrong. Any questions, any thoughts? And if not, you can always email me, text me, call me. 
carrier pigeon me. I don't know, whatever you want to do. Yes. So, the very yes. Yes. Yeah. Good question. Short answer is this. You're never going to believe everything that Jesus is, what he taught, how he led. The, we're growing in understanding that. Even with his own disciples, he looks at his disciples and says, you've been with me for three years. You still don't understand who I am? So we're in good company. But here's what you cannot pivot from, and this is why we pressed home the central ministry of Jesus' work is the cross. The instrument on which criminals died, he was not a criminal. He was innocent. Everyone knew it. They just wanted to get rid of this riffraff because they didn't want to hear the message that salvation is by grace alone. On that cross, and this is why the cross is central, Christ forgives all sins for those who believe that he is the lamb. He is sent by God to be that substitute for you and me on that cross. You and I should have been on that cross. He took it for us to forgive us our sins, pardon us, and then to pronounce us not guilty and to give us his righteousness. Did he need to earn his own righteousness? No, he is righteous. That's his character. Now he imparts it and imputes it to us. That's central. So this is why we preach the gospel in season and out of season. This is why we preach the gospel Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Rinse and repeat. Let's do it again. Amen? He has to be. Any substitute of you and me, it's not going to satisfy God's justice, God's righteousness. He is God in the flesh. Right. And everything he did on the cross in burial and resurrection supports that. Was that? And he was sinless. That's the, that's the key. Right? Because none of us could... As good as you are, Rod, I'm not looking to you to save me, all right? Thank you, brother, all right. I could see how the two, uh, sanctification and consecration. What does consecrate mean? It means you're devoting or dedicating yourself to, to a cause or, to, or, or yielding yourself over. I think there is an aspect of sanctification that does involve consecration where I want to daily give God my mind, my heart, my body, my, my speech, my hearing, my vision. Like every part of our lives should be consecrated unto God for the glory of Jesus by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I think consecration, sanctification, there is a, there's a relationship between the two. Thank you. Good question. Sean. Amen. Come on now. There's the truth, right? There's the truth. Because of Jesus, you are no longer you. You are in Christ. God sees Jesus in you together. He's our advocate. He's our propitiation. He's the one who did for us what we can never do for ourselves, and therefore, praise God. Justification is by faith and faith alone. You guys are good. You guys sat through. The Brazilian steakhouse is closed. The, the red flag's up. We're done. No more meat. 
Dig into the verses we looked at. Dig into this. If you want further reading on this, you can email me, text me. I'll say, this is key. This is key. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this morning. Thank you that when, when the songs that we sing and the word that is open declares how amazing and awesome you are, this is holy ground. Lord, we have slipped in so many bad things bad doctrine, so much bad thinking to, into our faith. And I really believe today is a day where you, you've sprayed that, that spiritual roundup and you're getting rid of the weeds of faulty thinking. You're getting the weeds of false doctrine. And you're showing us what is truly, truly core and important. And that is we are justified in Christ by faith alone. We as God's people say, Hallelujah! We are forgiven of our sins. We as God's people say, Hallelujah! We have been given Christ's righteousness. And now therefore, going forth, we will put no confidence in the flesh. We will press in now because our identity in Christ is, the, is that of that we are loved of God and we are loved perfectly for eternity. And we celebrate that. Thank you, Father, for showing us such grace. Thank you, Father, for showing us such mercy. Thank you, God, for such a great substitute. Jesus Christ, in him we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Have a great day, guys. Love you. Bye-bye.